10 healed of leprosy. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Amen. Thanks, Dave. You look at those, uh, uh, well, a theme associated with that, those verses just to, for a few minutes this morning. Should we pray? Father God, we do just ask for your blessing, Lord, just as we look at your word together, and we thank you, Lord, that we, we do have that safety to come in here and worship and Father God, be it at home or, um, or listening some other, other comfortable place, Father God, or in church, um, Lord, we have that freedom, Lord, in this country. And uh, whilst we may worry about certain things that are said and done and happened culturally, Lord, for the most part, this is a pretty great place to be a Christian. And Father God, we do lift our hearts, not just for Leah, but Lord, the countless men, women, and children across this world, Father God, who suffer for their faith, who are discriminated against, Lord, raped and murdered in some cases, Lord, ostracized, Lord, who are disenfranchised and put at the bottom of the social pile. We pray for them, Father. We pray for those churches that stand, Lord, in nations where they're hated. And we ask, Father God, that as their brothers and sisters, we wouldn't just remember them on anniversaries, that we would be better than that that our hearts would break, Lord, regularly for those people. And forgive us, actually, Lord. We should ask your forgiveness that often we don't pray for our family. Uh, and we should. So please challenge us on that, we pray. And be with us now to look at these verses in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as you know, um, I do love a birthday. Well, I don't love a birthday. I love birthday presents as you know, and I've uh, given the game away already. But um, the one thing I love about birthdays is stuff. Just remember that. It is coming round to the annual Celebrating Gary's birthday, April 27th. It will soon be upon us. You haven't got very long to start buying stuff. Um, please be generous. Anyway, um, but I, I quite enjoy a good birthday present. Uh, it is my love language, by the way, uh, stuff. And, um, but the one thing I used to hate uh, as a kid, as you can see already, is having to endure thanking people. Isn't it terrible? We have to thank people. They should be pleased that what they've bought me has made me happy, and that should be thank you card enough, I feel. But I remember one particular birthday when I was younger, um, not like 31 or anything, I was like a, a child, and my mum insisted that I went upstairs and stayed in my bedroom until I'd written every single thank you card, which is probably only about 10 of them. But I'm pretty certain it took me three and a half weeks, um, no, no, all day at least. I sat on my bedroom, uh, on my bed, little table, uh, and I remember thinking, this is just the worst. Who wants to say thing? And it took me ages and ages and ages. Nowadays, you just write an email, don't you? It's much easier to thank people. Um, but it occurred to me, uh, thinking about a story, how the word sorry and the word thank you are possibly two of the hardest words 
for the, in the English language to say. And I've said that before about the word sorry. But they're two of the most powerful words in society and in relationships. If you say thank you and sorry, uh, you tend to bless those around you. You tend to uh, iron out wrinkles in relationships quite quickly if you say sorry. Sorry is a, an important word, isn't it? And so is thank you. And it must be important because we ingrain them in our children sometimes Almost the moment they can tell right from wrong and stand up and speak. The moment they can speak a word, we try and teach them the word thank you or tar. Which I always think must be confusing for a child when they pass a workman's van. Anyway, tar, never mind. You won't find that funny either. No, that's not going to make them laugh. Okay, never mind. I'll dump those. Anyway, so, but we try and teach them those two words, don't we, immediately. So if two children fight or they say something they shouldn't, we, we grab them and we force them together in a very angry face and we say, now what do you say? Say sorry. And then they say, they have to sort of squeeze the word sorry out. Like that. And then when someone gives them something, no matter how insignificant, we always say, now what do you say? Like that. And they have to say the word thank you, whether they mean it or not. But to be thankful... It's actually a wonderful thing. Gratitude is a powerful, releasing, liberating emotion. And a person that says thank you not only has benefited themselves, they benefit the person they say thank you to. It's an extremely important, uh, important emotion, important thing to say. Gratitude, apart from anything else, um, it is scientifically proven. I've just uh, given away that what I spend my time reading. I often find myself reading the Harvard Journal. Am I the only one? Philistines. Philist, all of you. Philistines. Anyway, the Harvard Journal, which I googled this week under the word gratitude, came up with this. And they've done a whole study, reported a whole load of studies that, that have been done about the medical and psychological benefits of people that express Gratitude. And uh, just a couple of little quotes up there. So this is that, you can see that one there. I'll read the first paragraph. It says, in positive psychological research, gratitude is strongly and consistently, oh, excuse me, <clears throat> do that again, and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, Deal with adversity and build strong relationships. In other words, if you're a miserable, ungrateful so-and-so, all those things go in reverse. Another, and they talked of one of the studies, they did a selection of studies which the Harvard Journal, um, which I'm an avid reader, uh, reported on. It says, one group wrote about all the things they were grateful for that occurred during the week. A second people were told they had to write about all their daily irritations or the things that had displeased them. And the third group would write about events that had affected them, with no emphasis on them being positive or negative. And so they were sent off these three groups. One just wrote a factual account of their life. One wrote about all the things that got on their nerves. And the other group wrote about all the little things that they were thankful for. Ten weeks came and went. And what was noticeable was that those who wrote about gratitude were often more optimistic and felt better about their lives. Surprisingly, they also exercised more and had fewer visits to physicians than those who focused on sources of aggravation. So there we are. Um, <laughs> it's quite interesting, isn't it? There we are. So it's a psychological thing. It's better for you to be thankful. And apart from anything else, a grateful person, gratitude, removes me from the center of the universe and puts other people 
and their needs and their feelings and their situations. And I want to tell you about one of my most favourite people, the most grateful person I think I know, who no longer can come on a Sunday morning, and it's Vera Duvoil. Some of you will have never met Vera, um, because you've come... Unfortunately, in the time where she's unable to get to us on a Sunday morning, she can no longer get on the bus, and so she can only attend our Haley service when she gets a lift. And, uh, and I pop in and see Vera every now and again, and uh, whenever I see Vera, I always come away with a distinct thought, I would love to be like Vera Duvoil when I grow up. Um, and that day is any day now. <laughs> see, I'm not the only one that's had that thought, clearly. Now, there are two stories that stick in my mind with Vera. I hope she doesn't mind me uh, saying this. Um, the first one was uh, years and years ago, um, she hadn't been heard of for a few days, and someone phoned me up and said, something might have happened to Vera. So I rushed around to her flat, a uh, little, little house that she's got, and I was looking through the uh, kitchen window and through the letterbox, people wondering what I was doing. All the lights were off, and I thought, well, I wondered if I was going to see her sprawled out on the floor or something. And it turned out she'd had a fall, and her, her cousin... Not a cousin... Uh, nephew, thank you, um, and nephew Graham, who I know, um, I took it to the hospital, and she'd been there for about 10 days, um, and I went to see her in hospital thinking, bless her, poor old Vera, and I said to her, how are you? She said, oh, lovely. <laughs> I said, what do you mean lovely? You've been in hospital for 10 days. Oh, it's lovely here. I said, what do you mean? The food's lovely, the staff are lovely, nice, comfortable bed, everyone's looking after me, they're lovely, I've had a lovely time. <laughs> And then she went home. The second story that struck me about Vera was she had a fall in Bell Street uh, a couple of years ago. And she was laying on the ground in the middle of Bell Street for about four hours while an ambulance was called. It took a long time for her to come. It was raining. It was cold. But not, didn't seem to dampen Vera's sense of gratitude. And I said to her, that must have been horrendous. I would have been in a foul mood for months if that had happened to me. Oh, no. I was quite comfortable. People were very kind, you know, they got all their coats and their blankets around me and things like that. They held umbrellas, I had a nice cup of tea, someone got me something to eat. It was very nice. People were very kind. And I thought, well, there we are. Lord, make me like Vera Duvoil. Uh, and please do it quick. So, we're going to be thinking about gratitude um, this morning. Uh, the last two weeks we've been thinking about having a heart of worship, but really we've been saying about having a right heart, the importance of a right heart. We talked of, of Israel going into the promised land in me a few weeks ago and how if they didn't have the right heart, they would fall, out, fall away from God and the whole thing would, would go south. Um, we talked last week about where your treasure is, your heart is, so pick your treasure carefully uh, because it affects your heart, affects your character. And I really feel led to speak on gratitude, not just this week, but the next two weeks after this. So today we're talking about it. Next week I'm going to talk about how gratitude is the, the cause and the driver for our mission as Christians. How everything we do isn't to be done, it's as a response to what God's already done in our life. And then the week after, two weeks time, I want to talk about how gratitude lifts us out of despair. And so they're, they're coming in the next two weeks. So um, a few thoughts on gratitude as we start. Gratitude in the Bible is something that is commanded and it's celebrated. Uh, and a few verses just to sort of kick us off. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. Paul writes to the church, uh, the Colossian Christians, verses 15 to 17. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish another, each other, uh, one another. I don't know what's happening this morning, sorry. Uh, let me start that again. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude 
in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul writes very clearly there that actually we're to be thankful that we're a part of this church community. Sometimes people don't always feel that, do they? And they think, well, I don't like that, and that's not my cup of tea. And there's a sense of ungratitude can creep in, and it's not right. We're to let the peace of God rule in our hearts, peace of Christ rule in us. We're to celebrate that we're one family. We're to be thankful for that dynamic because it's so unusual to be in a room with people so different. And we're to celebrate that. We're to be people who are continually thankful, who are driven by that gratitude for God and what he's done through Christ. Romans chapter 1 verse 8 reminds us that our gratitude is bigger than simply what happens to us as individuals. Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says, first... First thing, for anything else I'm going to say, this is what I do. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. The first thing Paul did when he thought of the Roman church wasn't a sense of joy or what's happened or what he might have done or anything like that. It was to thank God that their faith was strong and it was growing and people were talking about this church. He was thanking God for their faith. We're to thank God for each other's faith. I should listen to the stories people tell and say, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in their life. Not just me and me and me, but actually, I thank you for them. I thank you for that person. I thank you for what you did. I thank you within that church down the road or that ministry that's different or that other denomination that's a bit different to us. We should be thankful for everything God does wherever he does it. Otherwise, we become again the center of our own world when it's meant to be God at the center and us following him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you will already know these verses, I'm sure, some of you quite well. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, starts like this, rejoice always. I can just stop there, can I really? I'll just sit down. But rejoice always, not sometimes, not a Thursday, not when you feel like it, but always. Pray continually, not just during a month of prayer, um, but always, continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Read that again. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And what I find really interesting, not just that we're to be thankful all the time, continuous thanksgiving, not just when we perceive something to have gone well, but even when things go bad, we're to thank God that he's in that as much as he's in the good thing. As well, he doesn't leave us or forsake us. But what I find really interesting is verse 19. I've not thought this through, thought this before. Paul writes, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them and hold on to what is good. Reject evil of every kind. And normally you would say in verse 19, do not quench the spirit. must be linked with the next verse. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Surely those two things go together. But I found myself wondering this morning, actually, I wonder if Paul links verse 19 with verse 16, 17, 18. Rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances. Do not quench the spirit. I wonder, does ungratefulness in the Christian quench the spirit? Rather than just saying, I don't like prophetic words, or I'm not into more charismatic stuff, that does quench the spirit, I believe. But maybe ungratefulness quenches the Holy Spirit long before we utter those words. Maybe the battle isn't that. Maybe the battle starts much further, uh, much more before. And then those verses that Dave read to us, 
uh, of the ten lepers that have been cleansed. I won't read them again, but uh, Dave read them. So Jesus, ten lepers come up, he heals them. Nine are Jewish, one is a foreign man, a non-Jew, and they go away. Only one comes back to uh, see Jesus and, uh, and say thank you. And, uh, and you can sense the disappointment in Jesus' voice, I think, can't you? You can sense the disappointment. Well, really? Weren't ten healed? Where are the others? Why haven't, why haven't they all come back? They're all cleansed from leprosy. They're back in society. Why haven't they come back? Why this one man, who's not even a Jew, so he knows nothing about God, he's come back. Where are the rest? I sense a real disappointment in Jesus as he says this. And what you can see there, which you probably can't read, is just a, a slightly funny take on why they didn't come back. That's not from the Bible, by the way. Maybe one wanted to see if the cure was real first. I say thank you when, I, when it's definitely happened. One waited to see if it would last. One said he would see Jesus later. One decided he never had leprosy in the first place. Psychological. One said he would have got, gotten well anyway. One gave the glory to the priests. One said, oh well, Jesus didn't really do anything. One said, any rabbi could have done it. And one said, I'd already improved so much. But actually, what we're going to say this morning is that gratitude, gratitude to God, is the foundation of true worship. Gratitude to God is the foundation of true worship. And two verses just to remind us of that. Psalm 69, verse 30. We read this. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. When we are thankful, we glorify God. It is the foundation of our worship. Psalm 100 verse 4 says this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. And let's take the challenge immediately on the chin this morning, everybody. When we walk through those doors... To worship as a community. Is there a sense of thanksgiving as we enter? Do we come in with the right heart? Or do we come in with the wrong heart? That's a challenge for every single one of us. So this morning I want to just base ourselves in Psalm 107. I won't read it to you, it's kind of long. Psalm 107 is a psalm all about how God rescues his people from various situations. This psalm is quite lovely, really. It's quite wonderful. And, uh, And in this psalm... We read of four situations that God's people have found themselves in. If if you've got a Bible, it would be good to have it open because I'll refer to various various parts of it. But you've got four situations that God's people find themselves in. And each of these four situations, the same thing happens. Uh, They get into trouble. They cry out to God. And God, because he loves them in a steadfast way, steadfastly, rescues them and brings them home. Each of these four sections ends with that phrase, uh, with that pattern. They get into trouble, they cry out to God, and God rescues them. And, uh, and this psalm is about that. It's about the ways God has rescued his people. And, uh, and that, that sort of pattern is repeated across this psalm. And like I said, I'm not going to read it all, but I'll just read a couple of bits. I'll give you one example of what I mean. Verses 4 to 9. It says, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfading love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good 
things. And that pattern is repeated four times in this psalm. And I'll just give you a, an overview of the four situations. You can see them there. Uh, from verses four to nine, he talks of people that have found themselves in barren places. Um, who are struggling to find a city to belong. These are God's people that were once at the promised land, have been kicked out because they've turned their back on the covenant and God, they've disobeyed God and they've found themselves out in exile. They're looking for a new city to dwell in, somewhere to call home. How many people do you know are looking for somewhere to call home? How many people do you know are desperate for somewhere where they can belong and find real life and identity and friendship and family? They look and they look and they look. And these people, in that sense of exile, banishment, longing to find somewhere, called out for God, and God took them to a city, his city, where he would be at the center, and they found that place to call home. Verses 10 to 16, uh, we read this. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's command and despised his plan, the plans of the Most High. Some people at the top right there find them, found themselves in a kind of prison, Perhaps it was a literal prison, but they disobeyed God and they found themselves trapped by their own sin and brokenness. Prisons, of course, come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? Just yesterday, we saw the awful news of Caroline Flack having taken her own life. And if you don't know who she is, she's a regular face on telly. A woman a couple of years younger than me who, on the surface, seems to have it all to live for, had it all to live for. But yet the whole thing fell apart so quickly. And she could see no way out of her prison, I guess. I won't comment too much because I wouldn't know. I don't know her situation. But she was in prison. She was in a kind of prison. And she could see no way of escaping it. And so she took the most extreme ways. That, those verses can often also refer to the shadow of death. People that were in that prison, God rescued, brought them back home. Verses 17 to 22 um, we read this, some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed all food and drew near the gates of death. And then they cried to the Lord. Then another people that God uh, saved were people that were just living out the effects of their own sin, their own mistakes. They found themselves living with their own mistakes and they wanted to die. And they cried out to God and he brought them back. And the final one Final verses, verse 23, speaks of people going down to ships, which may seem really random. Some went out on sea in ships, and they, were, and they were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wondrous deeds in the deep. He spoke and stirred up a tempest. And it talks of their ships being shipwrecked. And that, that may seem really random, but God's people didn't go boating. They didn't have an army. There's only one navy, I think, that of Solomon. They weren't seafaring people. That was other nations. So these are people that had been banished by, or moved away from God and then sold themselves as servants to a different king, a human king. They're trusting another nation. How many people do we know that look for help through other people? And so you've got these four situations, people that are looking for a home, people that are in a prison of their own making, people that are living with the effects of their own foolishness, and then people who have trusted the wrong person and found their lives shipwrecked. And God rescues them all. 
They cry out to God and God rescues them all. And that's the message of Psalm 107. Just as a sort of overview that God can rescue you no matter what situation you find yourself in. And I must say, even if you think I'm going off on a tangent, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ and you find yourself in one of those four, maybe your life is a shipwreck and you're not quite sure how you managed to get to the bottom of the ocean. Or maybe you find yourself in a prison you cannot find where the key goes. Or whatever it might be, Jesus can set you free. Jesus will set you free if you put your hope and your trust in him. No matter who you are, how bad it's got, how foolish you've been, Jesus can rescue you. You just need to cry out with all your heart, Lord, help. And I believe he will help you. I believe he will come near to you. But that's one message from Psalm 107. But there's a deeper message, a more uh, wonderful message in a way, which is this, that once rescued, the only appropriate response is gratitude. How many people are freed by God and then forget to thank him like those lepers? Psalm 110, after each of those four sections, they're told to thank God. To thank God. And there's a number of things that we're supposed to thank God for in this psalm. We're supposed, verse 1, to thank him for his enduring love. For his love that endures forever. The love of God doesn't just last for a little while. It doesn't run out. It hasn't got a sell-by date. It doesn't sort of stop at the end of March and you have to renew it for another 12 months subscription like that, like Xbox Gold or something like that. God's love endures. It goes on and on and on and on and on. And on your final moment of your final day, God will still love you the way he loved you on your first moment of your first day. And we're to give thanks for that, that God's love doesn't run out. Verses 8 and 9, we're to thank God that his love is unfailing. His unfading love. God doesn't just love us for a long time. He loves us no matter where we find ourselves. How often do we think God loves us when we're doing well, but hates us when we're doing bad? I've mucked it up, therefore he stopped loving me. His love is unfailing. It doesn't fail the moment we fail. God is always loving us, no matter our failures, or our doubts, or even our dry patches. God always loves us, no matter where we are. We're to thank God for that unfailing love. Do you ever thank God for the love he shares you? It showers on you. When was the last time you said, thank you, Lord, that you love me every day in every place, no matter what I do? Sometimes we only thank God when we perceive an answer to prayer, but we should thank him every day that he loved us, the beginning of that day, whilst we're asleep and as we go through our days. We're to thank him as well in those same two verses for his wonderful deeds, a phrase that will be repeated over and over and over in this psalm. His wondrous works, satisfying the thirsty, filling the hungry, literally filling their souls spiritually. And then verse 16, we're to thank God that he breaks the bronze and the iron gates of the prisons we find ourselves in. And after each rescue, the person that wrote this psalm says, thank God, thank God, thank God. Because it is our only appropriate way of worshipping, is to thank God for the things he does You see, to give thanks blesses us, changes us, and pleases God. In fact, it's so important to thank God for the things he's done that the psalmist even uses temple language. Verse 22, he writes, Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his his works with songs of joy. So important is it to thank God that he takes his readers back to the temple and says, just like you had to give a sacrifice A thanksgiving sacrifice, that's how important it is, that it's like a sacrifice in the temple. You must, it's a part of your worship to thank God. 
Psalm 69 verse 30 that I just read is about glorifying God as we say thank you. I always find it really interesting that Christians find it much easier to make a list of things they need but find it much harder for a list of things they're grateful for. And yet the Bible tells us every good, good thing comes from God above. So this list should be ginormous. Every breath I should say thank you for, really. Because every breath is given to me by the King of Kings. Verse 32 reminds us that our thankfulness isn't just to be something that we do on our own. It's a corporate thing. We're to do it as God's people together. Um, not verse, sorry. I've lost my place. But anyway, it says there, it's about coming in the assembly, in the council of believers together. When we come to church, we should be thanking God for all that we do. I'm going to play a very short video and then just say a couple more things and then we'll finish. But this reminds us that we've got lots to thank God for. I woke up this morning was greeted by the sunrise. I made a simple meal and enjoyed a moment of peace and stillness. I stepped into my vehicle and joined a million others traveling to work today. Safely. I spent most of the day at my job, doing the same familiar tasks that greet me every day. The work that provides for my needs. I took a walk in the park and received a smile from a stranger. I spoke with my parents, and then I met a friend for coffee. I turned on the radio in my car. I sent a message to someone a thousand miles away. I washed my clothing. I returned home. A very ordinary day. experienced today could be considered unremarkable, but they are all profound blessings, the fingerprints of your hand. Help me to grasp the wonder in the small and the simple, to notice the miracles which surround me constantly, to see the beauty in the commonplace and take nothing for granted. Teach me to make gratitude a lifestyle, one which flows into love, rejoicing, and thankfulness. Every moment that I draw breath, amen. should be a lifestyle 
It should be something that we do uh, without thinking because we're so aware that every blessing that we have comes from God's gracious hand. But there's one more thing I want to say just as we get towards the end. Is that final two verses of this psalm really made me think something new I've not thought of about gratitude. Because we all know, I haven't got to tell you what I've just told you, you could have said it for me. That gratitude makes you a better person, blesses the world around you, is the only appropriate response to God for things he's done. But what about something else? And the first sort of little couplet that ends it says in verse 42, The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. Then verse 43, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. And it really struck me, although it doesn't mention gratitude directly, it does mention wisdom, it does mention pondering, it does mention thinking, it does mention meditating. It mentions that those who ponder the deeds of God, all the things that have gone before, the ways that people have rescued, things that God has done, if a person ponders those things, they become wise. And how do you ponder the things of God? By being grateful. If you're a grateful Christian, a grateful person, if you spend your life recognizing what God has done, been doing and does and continues to do, you're pondering the works of God. You heed those things. You rejoice. And then you become wise because you know God on a much deeper level. And I found that really quite challenging because I'm going to take it a step further and say that you will never be wise whilst you remain ungrateful. I believe the two go together. I believe if you don't ponder the things of God and your heart doesn't erupt with praise and thanksgiving, you will never grow in your faith. Maturity will always be something you attain, you aspire to, but never attain. Yet if you dwell on the things of God, look for his fingerprints and praise his name daily, then you will be pondering the King of Kings his character and his works, and you will grow in places you never thought you could. And so, I believe this is from God this morning. I know that because I can't escape the word thanksgiving all week, and when that happens, I know God wants me to say it. So I'm going to say it two more times, but I believe God wants us to be grateful for all that we have. I believe God wants us to be grateful for his presence, for our salvation, not to be people who moan and groan, who look back to Egypt who see the speck in other people's eyes, who grumble at the extra mile we're called to go, or who serve begrudgingly, who want more, 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 but give less, 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 whose hands stay folded and whose mouths stay closed when they come to join with other Christians, when our mouths and our arms should lift and our praise should erupt from our hearts. We're to be people who fight the devil's vile temptation to be cynical and cross. Instead, embrace the Holy Spirit's invitation to know an unyielding joy in our heart and worship as we spend time as community. And so I want us to end with this, a challenge. This week, make it a daily habit to look back at all that God has done up until that moment. You cannot thank him enough. To start every day with a thank you, not an I need. Find the small things God has done as well as the big. Recognize the hand of God and declare to him and his church that you are grateful beyond belief. Thank him for his steadfast love. Because if it were not for that love, not one of us would be in this room this morning.
Not one of us would have our names in the book of life at all. Because no one is good enough except the steadfast love of God. So be thankful. Let's pray. Lord God, we just really ask that this week you give us eyes to see your hand. Father God, the devil loves to just remind us and try and trick us into only seeing what's wrong. And Lord, whilst there's a sympathy from us, each other, Lord, because we know sometimes life is extremely hard. But Lord, you've done so many good things, immeasurable, unnumberable. We pray, Lord, that we'll begin to look for you, to seek you, find you. Make us a grateful people. Lord, may we share that gratitude with others. May we be grateful not just for what you do in our life, but Lord, may we begin to be grateful and Lord, cheerleaders for each other and what you're doing in other people's lives. Lord, may we be more grateful for what you do in someone else's lives than we probably are in our own because how wonderful it is that they are growing and going. But Lord, above all this, I pray that you would make us mature for too long, Lord. We have believed incorrectly that memorization of the Bible leads to wisdom alone. When, Lord, we know it is the putting those words into effect that leads to wisdom and thankfulness for what you've said and what you've done. Make us a truly wise people, Lord, because we ponder and we thank you for everything you've done. And we lift these thoughts to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.